It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And as you know, that's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. Download the app and you can listen anywhere you go. Well, it is a great pleasure of mine to welcome to the show today Anita Kuntz. She is a Canadian-born artist and illustrator, born in Toronto but raised in the Kitchener area. I want to come back to that maybe a little bit later on. But she has contributed to magazines, design firms, book publishers, advertising agencies spanning the globe. And uh, that includes Germany, Japan, Sweden, Norway, Canada, South Africa, Holland, Portugal, France, England. It goes on. Uh, She uh, has illustrated over 50 book jacket covers and created cover art and editorial illustrations for many magazines, including Rolling Stone, The New Yorker, Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, The Atlantic Monthly, and The New York Times Magazine. She has had exhibitions since 1987, and she's also involved in educating and helping other artists. That's something else I wouldn't mind talking to her about as well. But her paintings and sculptures have been uh, featured in galleries abroad. In 2003, she was the first woman and the first Canadian to have a solo show at the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. The National Post has named her one of the 50 most influential Canadian women. In 2007, Ms. Kuntz was inducted into as a member of the Canadian Royal Canadian Academy of Arts. And in 2017, she was inducted into the Society of Illustrators Hall of Fame at the Museum of the American Illustration in New York. So it is a great pleasure of mine to welcome Anita Kuntz to the show. Welcome, Anita. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I, I, I feel so old now after all that. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Well, you know, I was going to say how, you know, you have contributed so much and done so much. It, it's wonderful. So congratulations to all that success that you've had. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, today I know we're here to talk about something new that you have, and I want to thank you for uh, sending me a copy of Original Sisters that you've been working on through uh, COVID. It's something like, I guess, many artists uh, took uh, advantage of of that time, being locked down and and maybe uh, had some projects that they were thinking about and weren't maybe able to get to. Uh, You decided to take advantage of being locked down in your Toronto studio and home and and, uh, work on this. But before we get there, I wouldn't mind going back and talking to you a little bit about your upbringing because I, I know you were influenced by your uncle, uh, Robert Kuntz, and uh, his work in, in educational publishing. And he showed you how you could sort of uh, influence, uh, have social messages in your work. Absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's actually really good research um, that you've done. Yeah, so when I was, when I was a little girl, I, I loved what my uncle was doing. His motto was art for education. Mm-hmm. I loved that he was doing this work that, that wasn't just decorative, but it had something to do that, that could help somehow. So that, 
the idea of having art that could that could somehow influence culture or be at least some you know um, inspire some kind of discussion was always really appealing to me. But also, he you know they lived north of Toronto on a lake, and he was one of mm. the first environmentalists that I'd I'd ever heard of. I mean, he loved he knew all the names of all the birds, and you know so that was really important to me too. But he you know he he illustrated all of the textbooks that we had in school. Mm. You know he was interested in science. He also made rugs. He he did architectural friezes. He did all all kinds of art. He was a quintessential artist. So it was he was such an important figure in my life. Wow, interesting. And then of course you went on and you became influenced by some some British artists as well. And that <laughs> that again showed you the uh, political viewpoint that you could in, put into there. Absolutely right. I was, you know, when I left school, went to the Ontario College of Art. Mm. I, w- I felt a little bit lost. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, what, am I doing children's books? Am I going to do advertising? Like, I really didn't know what to do. And I became aware of of these these really significant artists in the UK who were doing political work, but, it, you know, but still sort of they were able to make a living. And there were people like Ralph Steadman and Sue Coe and and you know, I became very influenced by them, and so I wanted to do work that was a little bit, uh, a little bit tougher because at that time I was doing kids' books. I was mm. doing like mice and skirts, and mm. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. And I wanted to do sort of meatier things, and you know, really try to address a tougher subjects. Okay, now that we have that established, I, I led you down this path because I wanted to ask you, having having that social messaging that you were thinking about that your uncle showed you and then the influence from the British artists and what they were saying from this political social viewpoint, how did you start to think about, okay, how do I bring this in to show those kind of messages in your art? Can you remember going back, what that felt like and what you were thinking of when, perhaps when you first got your first job that might influence or, or use that, those techniques? Well, I have to say that I was actually incredibly lucky. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of things have to do with being in the right place at the right time. I mean, when I started looking for work that was a little bit tougher, I mean, there were magazines that were that were publishing, um, you know, more difficult subject matter. I mean, I was working at that time when I was younger. I started in Toronto. I was working for Saturday Night Magazine, and mm. there was some pretty you know, they, they were doing a lot of socially and political, politically oriented uh, articles. But then I sort of realized I needed to, in order to make a, a living at this, I would have to kind of spread out. So I started sending my work to publishing houses in New York. And then, and then I eventually started working for Time Magazine and Newsweek. And, you know, at that time, the magazine industry was really flourishing. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of work available. Um, there was a lot more art that you would see in magazines that wasn't necessarily pretty art. It was, it was tougher. Mm. How much fun is it to be able to put and interpret those things the way you do? There's got to be an element of fun in there. Well, you know, it's, I, it's so much a part of my life. Mm. You know, I think being an artist is not a, a career as much as it is a lifestyle. I mm. mean, I don't, you know, it is fun. I guess, you know, when I, discover something new or when I have a eureka moment or when I fail at the fail miserably at something. And then, and then from that, I discover something that, Oh, that actually wasn't that bad after all, you know? So, so it's, it is, it can be fun that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess a pretty complex process, Mm. but I mean, I do it all the day, all every day I do it for hours and hours. So it's, it's just, it's just so much a part of, 
of my life. Right. Now, I understand there was one other influence uh, from an artistic perspective in your life, and it was a Flemish artist that influenced oh, you. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, the, the interesting thing is when I went to OCA, mm. we really didn't have any art history at all. <laughs> we, you know, at that time, we were, we were taught how to be a commercial artist. You know, we, were, we learned a trade. Um, I didn't get any kind of a degree or anything like that. So I sort of, you know, with, with, along with some friends, you know, we traveled through Europe. We went to a lot of uh, museums in, in, in different places, in New York, you know, all over the place. And I, I sort of fell in love with the Flemish primitives. <laughs> And I, I don't know what it is. There was something, I'm not particularly religious, but some of the, the paintings just seemed so profound and gorgeously painted. And, you know, I just loved that they were so moving. So, yeah, I sort of glommed on to them. Yeah, okay. Um, wonderful. And, of course, I guess the other thing is, uh, I, I, I believe this was one of the pieces that sort of uh, helped, helped launch you, is that your, your painting that you did of Ray Charles. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I started out, uh, you know, I wanted to be a really serious artist. And at some point, I, I started getting a lot of work doing portraits. Mm. And this is such a great segue into the book. Thank you mm. for this. Um, so, th there, there's a great art director named Fred Woodward. And I, I worked for him for decades. And he was so great because he loved art and, and he is a photographer and and he gave me so much uh creative freedom and so yes he gave me my first job and that was to paint a portrait of uh, ray charles absolutely so and of course the the unique thing that he loved uh, that i understand is that you you made ray charles that you gave him the the uh, piano keys for his teeth right right i always tried to do something sort of interesting and mm. fun with the portraits right. see it is fun see i told you it comes back to funny <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and, and thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Much appreciated. And as you say, uh, the book, the book, Original Sisters, um, that you started to work on throughout COVID. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the, the process? Because you, you, I think you were thinking of this. You never had the time, uh, but you, you wanted to work on something like this. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, when you... <laughs> You know, I mean, I've been an illustrator for so long and a lot of a lot of, you know, being an illustrator has to do with working on different assignments, different topics, and you have to work really quickly. Mm. So I was doing two or three illustrations a week for various magazines, publishers, etc. But I wanted to for a long time, I've been wanting to do a real deep dive into something mm. and I've wanted to do portraits of women who I thought were extraordinary. And, you know, in my, you know, during my life, I've always, I've discovered these women. I thought, how come I never heard of them before? You know, they should be household names. These are, you know, these are groundbreaking women. So I thought I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take the time of, of uh, COVID. I don't know how much time I'm going to have, but I'm going to try to do one portrait a day and see where that takes me. And, and were you able to do that? Were you able to, to get that down to one a day? I was able to do to get it down to one a day because I, I I tried to simplify them as much as possible because it wasn't about me. Mm. It was about these women. And I wanted to just paint beautiful portraits, um, you know, do the research, do beautiful portraits of the women and keep them really simple and just do mm. beautiful colors so that hopefully that the um, that, you know, the people would be interested in them. I, I, I sort of left behind all the darkness that I, mm. <laughs> I sometimes paint with the dark subject matter and just really tried to make beautiful portraits of extraordinary women. 
Now, 154 of them made it into the book, uh, and I'm just, how yeah. many of them didn't make it in? Absolutely. I have a backlog. Hmm. So, yes, 154 women are in this book, but, you know, as the pandemic has continued, I've, I've continued to paint one a day. So, I'm up to 300 now. Wow. <clears throat> you know, fingers crossed, you know, maybe there'll be a second book. We'll yeah. see. But I also want to make this sort of a bigger project, too. I would love to see this as a traveling show. Mm. Um, Maybe it can end up, maybe I can donate it to a museum or something. But I sort of see, I see this as a bigger project. And, you know, the longer this goes on, I'm just, I'm going to keep going. But, Mm. but, you know, it's really 150. It's not enough when there are thousands. Right. And, and of course, it it spans the history. I mean, they're all over the place. Some of the images that you create are of women that there are no images for. You use your imagination and uh, and and trying to what was what was being said about them and use that to interpret what they might have looked like. Absolutely. So you know, sometimes uh, when I was doing the research, yes, absolutely. You know, sometimes there's there's one picture or there are two pictures or there's like a grainy black and white photo, and mm. I had to kind of fill right. in the blank. And yes, sometimes there are absolutely no pictures at all. And I would have to sort of look back in time and, you know, see if there's anything I could find from back then that, that I could that I could, could incorporate into the mm. into the image. So, yeah, sometimes it was uh, more difficult than other times. And do you remember the first one you wanted to work on? I, you know, I did. I, I was um, initially I wanted to do something that that, you know, <sighs> That, that may be, okay, I'll tell you the first one. The first one was St. Aby, I think mm. it's pronounced. She was a mother superior in Scotland, and she had heard that Viking marauders were going to come and, and uh, rape them. Yes. And, and so she, she told all of her sisters to cut off their noses, and yep. hopefully they would be so hideous that they would be left alone. Yes. And they were murdered. Unfortunately, they were murdered anyway, but yes. that's where the, the, uh, the term to cut off your nose to spite your face yes. likely comes from. Mm-hmm. So that was the first one. And I was hoping that I could sort of find other interesting stories like that. And once I started, the floodgates opened. Yes, yeah, so I saw that in the book and uh, and read that. So it, it's interesting because you do get those other little bits of history that you just pointed out. Maybe that is where the phrase comes from. Um, so really interesting in, in terms of that. Um, now, the other side of this, it's not just the illustrations because we are getting some of that history of the women as well. So uh, how did that, uh, how did you bring those two things together? Did you have someone help you with that or were you do, uh, doing all of this as well? Well, I, you know, I mean, I found a lot of information about these women mm. in encyclopedias and blog spots. Um, you know, I asked people in different uh, fields if they knew of any women who had made major accomplishments but were forgotten. So I found information about them and I, I wrote little paragraphs about them, but, you know, I'm not a writer. So, mm. <laughs> so I had tremendous help from the editors mm. at Pantheon and I want to thank them so much because you know with the information that I gave them they really helped me write much more concise uh, you know little stories about the women yeah now of course this is a a really good size book and it has some weight to it and of course I'm, I'm just thinking about the size because did you guys discuss how large this book might be? Because I, I'm guessing that had something to do with, with you know how they how you would see the image, right? The detail and those kind of things of what what you wanted to convey. 
Yeah, I w- once I got um, fairly far along in the book, I I pitched it to a designer named Chip Kidd, who is a rock star, superstar designer. I mean, I have so much respect for him. And I, you know, I, I sent him I, I sent him some of the initial paintings, and um, I thought, oh yeah, I, I didn't expect to hear back from him. And he he wrote back and he said. Um, we love it. Let's, let's put, you know, let's, let's talk. And I was, I was so thrilled because here was my little pandemic project <laughs> and um, he, he's an amazing designer. So I just let him do whatever he wanted. Mm. You know, he, I, you know, there's far be it for me to design the book. So he was the one who designed the cover. They, they decided how big the book would be and they decided that, you know, they, they made all of those decisions. Mm, okay. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Anita Kuntz. She is a Canadian-born artist and illustrator, and we are talking to her about her latest uh, book that she has released. It is called Original Sisters, Portraits of Tenacity and Courage. And it is uh, quite lovely, and it has a lot of 154 women that she was able to put into this book. And uh, I'm guessing it's available or will be available both online and at bookstores, Anita? Yes, that's right. It'll be available. I think the book launch is next. Uh, I think it's November, November 9th, isn't it? I believe. November 9th. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can pre-order now, but yeah. uh, yes, def- it's, it's out next week. Now, I really liked what you were saying there also about the possibility that this could maybe go on tour or, it, it, you know, it, because I could really see how that would lend itself well to an exhibit, an exhibit somewhere with these illustrations and the history that you're getting with the women as well. I'd love to do that. And I think that's going to be something I start working on maybe in, you know, after the launch is over and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just going to see if anyone's interested. I deliberately made the paintings small. Mm. They're, I think they're 11. They're all the same size. I think they're 11 by 19. Okay. So they're easily shipped. You know, right. I was very mindful that, that uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be too much trouble to, to move them from place to place. So yeah, that's going to be my next, uh, my next project to see if I can get them into some, some place where a lot of people can see them because, you know, the, the, the thing that struck me about, about these, these stories, they're great stories. I mean, mm. I've got, yeah. I've got, washbuckling pirates. I've got brilliant <laughs> genius women in STEM. I mean, I've got, I have, you know, there's sad, of course, sad stories too, but yeah. you know, this, this, the narratives, the stories are great. Yeah, they really are. And, and like you said, you, you span history, uh, taking it right up to present day. Um, right. So uh, it, it's wonderful to see all these these stories. I have to tell you, I didn't want to put it down. I had to actually uh, catch myself. Oh, my goodness. Uh, how much I've been looking at this for a while now. I got to get going here. Right. So it's great. It's uh, it's wonderful. And, and you've done some, some uh, great illustrations, uh, very captivating as well. So congratulations to you on, on this project. Now, I, I want to ask you uh, something else because I'm not sure if this ties in with what you're doing, but I, I know you saw a change happening in the way, the kind of work you were getting, and you saw this happening with other artists as well, and, and you saw it going more to celebrity processes. Absolutely. Well, you've done great research. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, everything has changed since the internet. yeah. You know, and people used to get their information from magazines. They used to buy yeah. Time magazine, and they, yeah. you know, they used to—I don't know—they—they—they they, they used to buy magazines. You know, there, there were magazine stands everywhere, and mm. there were tons of magazines, different topics. 
And a lot of the, the magazines covered serious subject matter. But, you know, I, you'd be hard pressed now to go to a magazine stand and see something other than celebrity oriented <laughs> magazines. And I, I kind of noticed that that was happening. I mean, as soon as the Internet um, you know, happened. Everybody started to get their information from the internet, and it's a way to get. Th- yeah, I mean, you can get information much more quickly with some with something sure. like Time Magazine. You would have to wait three or four days to yep. get some information about it. So, so I see that. So I see magazines uh, struggling a little bit more, and maybe that's why they're not doing you know, some controversial, possibly subject matter. Um, so where whereas publishing has sort of um, you know, it's not as vibrant as it used to be. There, there are certainly other areas. You know, a lot of the art students I see are doing amazing graphic novels. Mm. You know, the, the, I, books are the books still seem to be uh, yeah. public. That's not an issue. And so, so yeah, I mean, there's always change happening. So, uh, yeah. So, so I think um, this is actually my second book. The first one came out a few months ago. It's called um, Another History of Art. Right. This is. Look, I've got another one coming out next year. So, so I seem to be moving more in that direction. But, um, but I'm I'm happy about that. You know, I'm getting older. I want to do projects that I'm really interested in. Yeah. So, if I can do this, I'll be really happy. Right. Um, you know what you were saying there about how the internet has changed things, and of course it has. Uh, our attention span. We always hear about people's attention span, but was, but that's really interesting because, of course, the images are still very very valuable. Well, I, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there, there, are, there still are a couple magazines, you know, I mean, the New Yorker still does, you know, articles mm-hmm. that go on for page after page after page, and they, they use a lot of art. So, they're, they're still around. Um, so, so, yeah, but it, it's just, it's not as vibrant. The other industry that's been hit hard is the music industry. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you used to buy these mag, these uh, these beautiful uh, records, and there'd be tons of art in the records, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they used to do some really beautiful uh, illustrations on those covers of LPs, but you know, I hear that's coming back. Vinyl is is apparently making a research. So we'll see. <laughs> Have you had any any requests to do any covers or anything? Oh, I've done a couple in my in my past, but no, nothing nothing really popular. I think I did a couple kids things. Mm. <laughs> but, but nothing, you know, by, I don't know, by stones or you know, <laughs> that, that big. No, nothing like that. <laughs> uh, so you, you're talking about this, uh, this kind of a project uh, moving forward, uh, things that, that uh, ha- have meaning to you. Um, what else have you got going on and looking towards the future? You know, I, I've been sort of... <laughs> I've been working on something that's kind of an autobiography and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that I'm still, that I'm still sort of working through. So, so maybe, maybe that I'll be working on that in the new year. Um, but, uh, but, you know, like I said, I've, I, hopefully there will be book two of this. I, I still, I still want to keep doing these. I, I have a backlog of women that I want to paint. So I don't know at what point to stop. Yeah. You know, I've been doing this for years, uh, but so that and the the visual autobiography. So and then and then we'll just see what comes. You know, yeah. sometimes I don't know what ha- what's happening in the next uh, couple of months. So right. We'll see. Okay. So so original sisters, uh, portraits of tenacity and courage. You mentioned what the first image that you created for the book. What else stands out? I mean, they're all amazing in the book. But are there other stories in in this book that 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 come to mind that you think people w- would gravitate to that, you know, that, that 
oh, you have to see this because? Well, I, the National Geographic Society, for example, has done analysis of the handprints in mm. the ancient uh, cave paintings. Oh, yeah. One of the handprints they've now analyzed and realized that they were women. Yes. So the idea that men naturally would have done anything important sort of goes out the window when you think that women may actually have been the first cave painters. Right. What's another one? I mean, there, there's so many of them. So the uh, Marcel Duchamp, who is thought to be the father of modern conceptual art, and he did a, a painting or he did a sculpture called the Fountain Urinal. Um, mm, but right. but there's evidence that that actually a woman uh, came yes. up with. And, and that's the evidence that's in a letter that he wrote. So, what else? Right. I mean, there's a, there's a scientist, Celia Payne-Gaboshkin, sorry. Um, and she discovered that the universe is made of, of gases and not heavy metals as previously thought. I mean, these are extraordinary things. Alice Ball was a young African-American woman who, who uh, came up with basically the cure for leprosy. Mm, and, right. And, and her, the, the person above her, the man above her at the university took credit for it. So, yes. there, there are lots of stories like that, like really significant accomplishments and, and achievements, you know. And, and like I said, there are, you know, the, the first pilot, you know, adventurers. There's a great um, Mon uh, Mongol uh, wrestler, a, a woman wrestler, Katulin, I think is her, it's pronounced. And she didn't want to get married. She just wanted to wrestle all the time. And she was an <laughs> amazing wrestler and she so she um she they they wanted her to marry and she said okay mm. i'll get married if if some if i if i can find a man who can beat me at wrestling <laughs> and so these men would come and wager horses and uh, nobody beat her so she ended up unmarried but with with like herds and herds of horses so there, so there are funny things in here too i mean it's quite an extraordinary story so anyway there, there are just so many activists right. um you know like i said women in stem uh, uh -huh. all kinds of women Yes, and, and as you say, from all walks of life, uh, all manners of society, right around the globe, spanning history. And uh, as you were saying some of those things, I remember reading about them in here. And, and oh, oh, yeah, all these great, great stories. And of course, there are so many stories about, uh, like you said, uh, where women had to change their names, of course, because they couldn't get published or they couldn't, you know, they, right. they, because they were women. And if, they're women, if they had a woman's name, they wouldn't be recognized or, or thought of or taken serious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, I think, her, I think it's S.E. Hinton who wrote the first uh, young, young adult book. And she deliberately uh, used her initials because she wanted the boys to read her book, you know, because she didn't think, you know, no, but no boys are going to read a girl's book. So, so yeah. So she became the best selling young, uh, uh, young adult author, I think of all time. Mm. Now uh, we're just about finished up here and I want to thank you for the time that we've taken. It, it sounds like, you know, some of the things that you're sharing is what you may have learned from this process. But I'm wondering, is there anything else that you personally have learned from the process of going through this? So many of these subjects, so many of my subjects in this book have gone through terrible, terrible ordeals, you know, and they but they've they've uh, they've come they've come through them. And it will not always. But I mean, just some of the things that these that, that a lot of these women had to endure. And the, it was, I found it was, it was kind of interesting that, that I was doing this during a global pandemic. And really, we were being asked to stay home. And relative to what a lot of these women endured, it really was no big deal. And, and I, I, was, I was sort of mm. sort of thinking, wow, you know, we have to stay home. That's really, that's really nothing. Um, so anyway, so it just gave me even more respect for the, the women I was researching. 
Wonderful. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show and share this with me and, and wonderful book uh, that you've done. And uh, as I say, everyone can find this online um, and also uh, in uh, their local bookstore. It is called Original Sisters, Portraits of Tenacity and Courage by Anita Kuntz and uh, a, a forward by uh, Roxane Gay. There are all these wonderful women throughout history that have contributed so much. So uh, thank you so much for doing this and getting this out there for people to see. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that is Anita Kuntz, and she was kind enough to give us this interview to talk about her original sisters, Portraits of Tenacity and Courage, and it is a really a good read. I can tell you, you won't want to put it down once you start reading it. It is launching on November 9th, but that is this portion of the show. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth, right after these messages. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. As you know, that is 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also listen online if you download the iHeartRadio app, and you can listen anywhere you go. You can also listen to some of our previously recorded interviews and conversations if you go to our SoundCloud, which you can also actually find us on any other platforms as well. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Keith Barker, the Artistic Director of Native Earth Performing Arts in Toronto. Now, Keith is also a member of the Métis Nation of Ontario, and he's also a playwright, actor, and theatre director from Northwestern Ontario. He's the winner of the Dora Mavermore Award and the Playwrights Guild's Carol Bolt Award for Best New Play, and was the finalist for the Governor General's Award for English Drama in 2018 for his play, This Is How We Got Here. Now, Keith also also received a Saskatchewan and Area Theatre Award for Excellence in Playwriting for his play The Hours That Remain, as well as a Yukon Arts Award for Best Art for Social Change. So it is a pleasure to welcome Keith Barker to the show. Keith, welcome. Thanks, man. And yes, Native Earth Performing Arts, Canada's oldest professional Indigenous theatre company, in their 39th year. And of course, Wasagachuk begins to dance with, I'm, I'm assuming we are going to be talking about, that's in its 34th year. And yep. that's coming up on November 16th until November 27th. And I understand that's also going to be virtual again. Yes. We decided to, just wanted to play it safe. We, you know, we had to start making plans probably like just before the summer. And so we just thought, let's just be safe. Just make sure we take care of our artists and our audiences and just we'll go with the conservative idea of just going online for a second year. And then hopefully next year mm. we go back to being with live audiences. One mm. of you, you know, now that we're talking about COVID and the changes that it made and with, especially with things going virtual and online, what have you, what have you found over the last couple of years in, in terms of uh, things that it may be positive or things that may be negative, negative, of course, well, I'll know that most of the negative things are, but uh, some of the things that you might be implementing coming out of this that you found as, as positive things that you can, can use going forward yeah i mean i think one of the main positive things for for us has been we can work with artists from coast to coast to coast and we could connect our artists and introduce them to people they wouldn't necessarily have been able to connect to in the past or wouldn't even have been considered because oftentimes you try to bring people together Mm. who are close by sometimes your budgets are 
you know, the way they are. And you're mm-hmm. like, who are local artists that we can get together to, to do a reading of a play or mm-hmm. you know, want to do a workshop of a dance piece or something. Right. Whereas I find the, what has been really exciting is to be able to people like, who's your dream cast? And someone, someone says, you know, I want to work with Lauren Cardinal. We right. can actually reach out to Lauren <laughs> right. who's out in Northern BC now, <laughs> you know, and has, you know, and the idea is say, Hey, Lauren, would you want to do a reading of this piece? And, and, you know, he's like, yeah, sure. Like you right. can, because everyone's mostly been at their, in their homes. Yep. And so people have been not only available, but also uh, the idea that they can come together and you get to hear your words spoken by artists that you looked up to, or are you really excited to be in a room with, or you've never met before. And mm. so that that's been really positive. Um, the hard part I think is that I think everyone's bandwidth is pretty yeah. overextended in terms of online. Like people yeah. are sitting at their desks or on the computer yeah. or watching stuff all day. And I find that the, the attention span uh, drops off pretty quick. Right. And so this idea of like watching a two and a half hour play, mm. uh, you know, we used to sit in the theater and do that. But the idea of sitting online, you know, mm-hmm. people are like, I just, I can't sit there for that long. Yeah. But, I mean, the exciting part on that then is to say, hey, the work is there. It's right. recorded and you can watch a bit of it and go away. And right. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I can, I don't have to show up at eight o'clock on a Friday night to <laughs> right. see the show. Right. I have two weeks. It's like this, here's the code and here's two weeks and watch it when you have the time or yeah. have, have the, you know, the brain space for mm-hmm. it. And so, so there, I mean, I feel like there's those positives and negatives. And then I think right now it's just, as we look ahead, it's like so many people I talk to are like, how do, how do I come back into a room with people? Mm-hmm. How do I manage stress? Like, how do mm-hmm. we do this? And what is the safest way to do that? And so we're in those conversations right now. Yeah, all great questions for sure. And I love what you said there about being able to sit down and watch it at your leisure. Uh, and that's one of the positive, the, the, like you said, one of the not, so great things is that when you do go to the play and you were able to sit in a theater with other people, that two and a half hour goes goes by a lot faster because first of all, you're you're engaged in the performance. You're getting to see the lighting, the sound, you're surrounded by that. Plus you're there with other people. There's usually, you know, a 20 minute break or something. You go out, you have a, a bit of a conversation with others. You maybe catch up with somebody you haven't seen for a while that, that may be there. All of those kind of interactions that allowed you to take that, that in uh, as the, as the whole, uh, a scope of, of going out for an evening. Yeah. And I feel like it's a muscle. I feel like that we all mm. used to use a lot. Like you'd go to a place, you'd be there for two and a half hours or an hour. And, you know, after 18 months or two years of being away, you're like, Oh, I haven't sat like that in a theater with a bunch of people for that long right. in a long time. And yeah. so it's like, Oh, I haven't done this in a long time. How do I even do that? And mm. it's like, right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. It'll, it'll. I think it'll be interesting to see how and what things might change coming out of this. You know, as as you're just saying that, I, I was thinking. I wonder how performances once you, because of what you just said, going back to the space again, how they might change from a, a writer's perspective. What things might start getting included uh, to help us uh, sort of remember some of these awkward times or or what we were going through in our mental space at the time around uh, around COVID once this is all past us, you know? Yeah, like, and I know theaters, like my first play was 60 minutes long. Mm. And I remember that everyone used to talk about it in a negative way. Like, you know, it's only 60 minutes long. It's not really, it doesn't really feel like a full like right. play. Like, you know, people want to pay ticket price or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And I've in conversations with people now, artistic directors reaching out to me saying, hey, I'm looking for like a play that has no intermission. It's <laughs> under 90 minutes that I can you know, hold an audience for. And I'm like, the changes are already in place. Like people right. are already acknowledging that. So it's pretty to see that shift of saying like, how long can we hold people now? Mm. And how do we adjust to that? Because a lot of like, I think we're all kind of looking at smaller shorter yeah. uh, pieces. Yeah. And I, I do think the future is in that for, for theater, especially. Okay. So that's, that's something I get that from sitting in front of a screen, et cetera, not being in the environment, but I'm wondering from what you just said also about shorter uh, mm. and attention span, how much of our, just our life because of social media and all those kind of things that is, is infiltrating that as well and, and affecting us that way. I told like, and we were already feeling that over yeah. the last couple of years, just mm. prior to COVID, we're like, audiences have a really hard time holding for more, like at about an hour and a half, you start feeling everyone shifting. Like mm. you could, even if people are engaged, you can mm. just feel that people are like feeling the fatigue of mm. being, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, and, and I said to someone is like, the theater is one of the very few places left in the world where you're forced to turn off your phones, yep. sit as a collective group yep. and, and watch something. Like, even if you're at a hockey game or something like a sports, people are on their phones all the time and they can engage and not engage, but with a piece of theater or, you know, even at a concert, you see all the, 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 the phones used to go up and record or whatever theaters, you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So you had to sit and as an audience sit together as a collective and watch something because theater, the, the power of theater is that the audience plays a part in the show. And if the audience is engaged in the show, the show is only that much better. Mm -hmm. And as a performer, you feel that you feel that in that that kind of cross crossing the divide of the mm. fourth wall with each other is like I'm taking energy from you and you're taking the energy from me and we're building this mm-hmm. thing together in a night of very intimate kind of right. theater. And to me, it's like I was already feeling people were like ugh, not able to stay connected that long or not having, you know, not having the ability to stay, you know, concentrated that long. And right. it, it is because it's all everything's shorter articles and and faster things on your phone and Facebook and you hit and this and like, you know, so many people talk about reading an article and reading the first paragraph and going, ah, and then, then they only read like the first piece of it. And I feel like theater, it's, there'd been a lot of theater that way too. Mm. People are really engaged in the first half of it. And if there's no interval or no like break, that it is a real, it's a real climb to get to the end to keep people motivated to, to stay connected people start going so what am i doing for dinner tonight <laughs> oh, i've got to get you know groceries like mm-hmm. if we just naturally do that you know i think mm-hmm. we're all guilty of that so right yeah you know as you were talking there i it took me back to my early uh theater days of of, uh, of studying theater at york because i remember you know studying theater history and i remember the early days of theater in some areas were very much like a family event i mean you had interruptions going on all the time right yep. you had animals you had kids running around you had everything going on at the same time and you then you had these performers <laughs> trying to keep the attention of of the audience throughout <laughs> all of this stuff going on. So I don't know, maybe it's coming full circle. Well, that's, I mean, the idea they didn't have mics either. So right. they really had to like <laughs> throw the energy out there to keep people, <laughs> to keep right. people watching. Yeah. And it is, it is, there is something about, you know, there's the, it's, there is a, I, cause I came, I, you know, I grew up in Northwestern Ontario. We didn't mm. have, I never went to a live theater event. Like they were in gymnasiums or mm. at the library where right. you could see a performance of something. But that idea, kids are getting up, going to the bathroom, going mm. to the back to talk to their mom. That's why mm. I like doing theater for young people mm. uh, is always so humbling 
right. because kids don't care. They're not at a theater. They don't have the etiquette. Right. You know, if someone has to pee, they're going to yeah. stand up in the middle of your performance. Right. Turn to the teacher. Go, I have to go to the washroom, <laughs> right. you know, and you, you as the, you as the performer have to, you know, stay engaged yep. and not, not get off track and stuff right. like that. But yeah, yeah, yep. it's, uh, I, I, I love that idea of that kind of organic nature yeah. to, to theater that is present right. for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great. So how then will Wasagachuk begin to dance, which again, as we mentioned, is going to be running from November 16th to the 27th. It's going to be virtual. Um, yep. How is that going to be incorporating some of those things that we were just talking about? Well, one of the, one of the like we always try to pick a, general theme for the year and this year we wanted to really we've been in in lots of talks around like uh for people who don't don't really engage in theater like an editor like how do you edit how do you work like as a we call them dramaturgs how do people work with artists to create the work or to help make it better mm. um and so the uh, this year we really talked about how do we do it in a way that is not mainstream? Like what, how, what's an indigenous land-based practice, mm. which, uh, you know, we've been really lucky to have several artists in Lindsay Lachance and, and Monique Mojica and several oh. others that mm. kind of work in this way mm. about like working on the land right. with text. Right. And, and it, you know, Christine Friday, who's a dancer also works that way. And like, she told me, she has this beautiful dance piece called Maggie and me. And she was like, you know, before I bring it to any audience, I bring it out into the land mm. and, and I dance it for the ancestors. Mm. And then I can offer it to the public, but I want it. I want to do that first. And so we started a conversation because for those who don't know, Wasagachuk is a development festival. Yeah. You know, you know, it's in its 34th year and yeah. way back in the day when they were looking at, you know, when artists were looking around saying, nobody wants to engage with indigenous artists. Uh, you know, people were like, you know, they were like, we have to create our own means to develop new work. And that's how, that's how the festival actually started. It just out of necessity for mm -hmm. artists, so many great artists, early artists that were like, we need a place like the Jenny Lozans, the Monique Mojicas, mm -hmm. you know, the Thompson Highways, Renee Highway, you know, Daniel David Moses, like mm -hmm. all the greats. Mm -hmm. came together in this time and said, we need to be creating our own work. And so all like a huge body of the work comes from this festival that's been happening for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at like, how do we engage with people who want to help artists make their work better? We're like, and what makes it not a European kind of focused kind of dramaturgy, which, you know, that happens. Mm -hmm. And it can be really quite helpful, but we, we, we're starting to look at what are the other options of that. And so this year for the festival, we were like, let's really talk about land-based creation processes. Let's mm -hmm. talk about what that is. And so we, we oftentimes have um, professional development nights. Yeah. And this year, Lindsay Lachance, who's our program director for the Animiki program, mm -hmm. uh, is talking with uh, Spy Denomi Welsh, who's a, who's a professor, but also um, a brilliant artist. Uh, Jill Carter, who's also a professor at UT, and then Monique Mojica, who's, you know, a land-based, like, dramaturgy. She's working with tons of artists, but also has her own practice as, a, as, a, as an actor and as a writer and creator. They're, we're going to get them together, and they're going to have a conversation around what that is. Right. It's like indigenous literacy around ancestry. Because, you know, this is also the thing. We're not one big homogenous group. Right. Everybody comes with something different, sure. you know. It's like, how do you, how do we relate to each other in different ways? And how do we bring each other's like, you show up in a, in a room, you know, and, and 
you know, you have an Ojibwe artist like Wawate Fobister and a, a Mohawk artist like Sherry Miracle come together. It's like, how do we then decide, like, even which which direction to go in the circle? Mm. How do we how do we talk about the work? What is our each each person's practice in that? And so we were mm. like, like let's like if we're going to talk about a development festival, how do we talk about the work in those ways? And mm-hmm. so the festival that's kind of the general theme this year. And uh, yeah, I mean we have a we have a, a a young writers unit we call it, and uh, it's called the Animiki program, mm-hmm. and it's a two year program. And so we bring in artists to who are creating work as, as kind of like, it's almost like a playwrights unit or an artist unit, because it's not, it's not just for theater. Like we have, it's multidisciplinary. So we've had dancers, we've had um, people who write operas. We have, uh, you know, playwrights that come mm-hmm. in and, and, and they create work, new work and, and over two years. And, and we always have an Inimiki night. It's actually the most popular nights mm-hmm. of the festival because it's new writers, new work. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, mainstream theaters are actually seeing the value and wanting to engage with Indigenous artists, um, we're finding that lots of artistic directors from theaters across across the country mm-hmm. are coming to these nights to see new work and to see new artists and to, to see what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. on that level, on right. with new work that isn't necessarily, you know, known to the, to the general theater public. Right. Yeah. Interesting. We're going to come back to that in a second. But first, I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Keith Barker. He's the Artistic Director of Native Earth Performing Arts in Toronto. We're talking to him about Native Earth Performing Arts, and in particular, the uh, Wasaga Chuck Begins to Dance, which is in its uh, 34th festival year, and it runs from November 16th to November 27th. You can find out more by going to Native Earth Performing Arts and you online, and it's nativeearth.ca, their website. There you can find out all about Wasagachuk. You can find out all the other things that are going on with Native Earth, Earth Performing Arts. And I'm sure there, Keith, they can also find out about getting tickets uh, to attend these virtual events that are happening. Absolutely. Yeah. All the information's there. You'll see it. Um, uh, and if anyone has any problems, just send us an email and, and we'll work something out with you. But I guess the other thing about uh, having it on on a on a virtual platform is, are there a limited number of seats available for that, or or can and any number of people attend? That's the other thing. Yeah, I would say that it's open to so many people, and right. and not just within the confines of these these invisible borders of our right. world. The idea is like internationally, people people like we have uh, brothers and sisters in in Australia and Aotearoa in. Um, New Zealand, who also engage with the work, who have relationships with, with, you know, our artists on Turtle Island. And, mm. and so that's also been the exciting thing is this mm-hmm. work. There's, there's no like limit to tickets. Also, we keep it online so that people can engage with it mm-hmm. beyond the, the set time that it, it kind of comes up. But the, also the idea is that people f- on the other side of the ocean mm-hmm get to see the work too and get right. to be excited and get to, you know, cheer on their favorite artists. Now, uh, what else can you tell us about Wasagasjeka and, and this particular, this, the, uh, yeah, Animiki creators work, uh, this year. Yeah. So, uh, we have several artists that we're working with. All of them will showcase. So they're in their second year right now hmm. and all of them will be showcasing. So the, they've been working on these pieces for a couple of years now and, and, and had, had been working on it prior to the, to the the program so we have jimmy blay who's who's the new artistic director of geordie productions which is a 
is the largest uh, TYA theater for young audiences uh, in Quebec. And, okay. and Jimmy has a piece he's been working with uh, Yvette Nolan on. She's been his, his dramaturge. Mm. And so he's going to, he, he it's so great. Cause he got about a half a year, about half a year, uh, six months ago, he said to me, well, said Das is like, Hey, can I start working on something new? Cause I think this piece is ready. Like lots of artists where a lot of our artists are in a position now where they're like, I need to be in a room with actors living and breathing these characters. Mm. I can't, I can't, there, there comes a point when the work, I can't sure. work on it anymore yeah. online. Yeah. And so Jimmy's at that place. And so we're going to show where the piece is at, because I think now he's ready for kind of like a hands-on workshop, mm. uh, both him and, and Joelle Peters. Mm-hmm. And Joelle is working with Phelan Johnson. Oh yeah. And so we, we had a conversation uh, around like, so what are we showing? Like, how mm-hmm. do we, and Joelle is going to have a conversation with Phelan about the work, about what she's doing. And she too, like we've, she's like, I've been through lots of workshops. I've learned a lot. It's been really exciting. I, I just want to be in person with people and, and really hear the words live mm-hmm. as in a piece of theater. And it's like, great. And so, you know, and, and that's the great thing about Niniki is every artist is different and is at a different place. And so, you know, Jimmy and Joelle are ready for, are in that place. Whereas Brefni, Brefni Caribou is working with Monique Mojica and they've really kind of embraced, uh, Brefni's worked on a piece for, for many, for several years now. And, and, and really, I think her connection with Monique really opened it up. And so they really kind of embraced this land based dramaturgy and, and the ways in which Monique kind of explores the text. And so they're kind of in a, they're kind of in mid form right now. So we're going to hear a, a, an excerpt of Brefty's piece. Mm. And then Kelsey Wavy, she's a recent grad and uh, a theater school grad, and she's out West and she has a, she has this piece. She's still trying to form what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so she's working with Audrey Dwyer, who is the artistic associate, oh. the Manitoba theater center. Cause right. Kelsey is also originally from Winnipeg. Mm. And so, uh, Last year, she was still in the process of like, these are my ideas. And so this year, she's got, she's got some, some of the writing that she's ready to kind of share and to kind of get feedback on. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have a small reading of, of, of her work. Mm-hmm. And then we have Nimki Kuchi, who is, um, she's a dance artist and she's working with her mom, Penny Kuchi. Mm-hmm. And so last year, she did this beautiful piece. Her, her video was her, like, her first bits of like, like, exploring choreography with this new piece mm. she was on the edge uh, like the the ice was forming on the lake mm. and she was she was dancing on the edge where the ice had formed and you could still see the water and it was just a stunning <laughs> visual like it was yeah. just absolutely beautiful yeah. and it just like placed her where she was yeah um up in her uh, her home community up north and mm. and so it was just like so nimki is continued to work with her mom and, and her dad said Bob. And so they, she'll have some more exploration to share with us. It is the 39th year of native earth performing arts. That means you guys have a pretty big year coming up 40th year. Uh, is there we anything do. you can tell us about the future? Oh, you know, COVID mm. we had to, we had to kind of postpone shows mm-hmm. for COVID and, sure. and, and what was coming. And so we have a couple of very big projects coming up. Uh, we have a full length opera that we had commissioned, we had, we, uh, Spy Denomi Walsh, who's one of the speakers at, at the festival, mm. has this beautiful full length opera called, called Canoe. Mm. And uh, was a, an artist in residence with us. Then the company, their uh, Unsettled Scores is, is his company. They were in residency 
during the summer a couple of years ago, really working on the piece. And the thing that's really beautiful about the spy is really considering how do we bring art to community? Mm. And so we have a little uh, 120 seat black box theater right in Regent Park in downtown Toronto. And, uh, and, and opera tends to be in a bigger house and it just, it's, it's, it's a different scale. But Spy really wanted to spy and Catherine McGowan, his partner, they, they really wanted to concentrate on bringing the work to a small black box theater because they want to be able to bring that piece to a community hall, to a friendship center, to a high school gymnasium, wherever in any kind of northern community. It's like, how do I bring a piece of opera that isn't confined to it needs a big house and it mm. needs a huge budget? Mm. And, and so they spent a whole like uh, residency in the summer, really trying to figure out how to make props limited, how to, how do we still create the splendor and the scope of the piece, but within like the context of, you know, a smaller venue. Mm. And so we we're we're in partnership with uh, Theater Pass Mirai and, mm-hmm. and, and we're just looking at the, doing this full length opera, which is actually, it's this beautiful piece. It's very funny. It's very heartfelt. It's, it's about, you know, it starts off with a, with a tree who gets cut down and he doesn't know what's happening to him. Mm. And then he, he gets carved out into a canoe and he still is. And, you know, and, 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 you know, ends up the big flood, the, the great flood comes and, and he ends up saving humanity and, you know, has a place in the, and in the canoe is singing to the people in the canoe. And, and, you know, like there's just so much, there's so much action and there's so much about the piece that's really quite, really quite beautiful. And it, and lots of humor involved. Like that, that's mm. the thing I, I love about spy and Catherine that they brought to this piece is like you, people tend to not really engage with opera and, and don't really think of it as, as, as humorous mm. oftentimes, mm. oftentimes huge tragedies and stuff. Whereas this piece is really kind of cemented into that kind of like, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it tells a really great story and just has these moments of lightness that are just really quite beautiful. Mm. And so we're going to be bringing that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another piece. It's called uh, Women of the Fur Trade, which actually had been at our Wasaga Czech Festival mm-hmm. a few years prior. And Frances Konkin, who is a, who is a Winnipeg-based artist, uh, she was a part of our Nimiki program for two years and helped, you know, was writing many things, but this is the piece she was really concentrating on. And uh, uh, the artistic director at Manitoba Theatre Centre saw the piece at Wasaga Czech and then programmed it. And so they had a production in Winnipeg and in her home city, which like yeah. we were over the moon for her, right, yeah. you know, at the, one of the largest theaters institutions in Canada, yeah. the Manitoba theater, Royal Manitoba theater center. Right. Sounds a little fancy. And then the idea was that we were going to, we were going to bring it to home to native earth and, and really wanted to share that with the Toronto audience, but then COVID mm, happened. Right. And so the plans are still in place. Uh, we have a couple partners that are still kind of, we're all, we're all in the place of like, is this going to happen? How do we make this happen? We're still committed to it. Uh, but with everybody not knowing when they're going to be bringing a lot different cities. And so it was like, how do we bring audiences? When do we bring audiences? Right. What are other people's plans and stuff like that? So it's still in, still in, we're still in that world of, um, of the what if. Mm. So, mm. and then, you know, for the 40th year, we're, we're looking at uh, ways in which to celebrate creation i mean i think that's Mm. the one thing about native earth you know we really looked at like what do we do for the ecology and part of it is is that give opportunities for artists to create new work and to explore work that they're working on right 
And so that, that's going to be part of our focus. Some people really like, you know, for our 40th year, we're going to, you know, do these massive productions. And, and yes, we're going we're gonna to celebrate with doing theater and, and dance and, and performance. But the idea was like, how do we also hold our responsibility of create, helping to create new work, right. to, flood, to flood the theater, Canadian theater uh, industry with new, uh, new writers and exciting work? And I think that's going to be part of our 40th year's kind of focus. Keith, fascinating speaking with you. I want to say uh, Nyao and Jimmy Gwetch for taking the time to join me on the show to talk about uh, Native Earth Performing Arts and the upcoming Wasag's Chuck Begins to Dance, which is on from November 16th to November 27th. And people can find out more by going to nativeearth.ca and there they can find out all about Wasagachuk. And so people can find out all about how they can get tickets, what events they want to uh, attend, and also find out anything else they need to know about Native Earth Performing Arts. Keith Barker is the Artistic Director of Native Earth Performing Arts in Toronto. And we've been speaking to him about not only Native Earth Performing Arts, but the upcoming Wasagachuk Begins to Dance, taking place on November 16th to the 27th, and it is the 34th year of the festival. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, David Moses. We will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. <laughs>